that will arise to a new world. It's a band out of England called Kula Shaker. It used to be called the Jeevas. And I think that really is an appropriate tune for what we're going to talk about tonight in the next 60 minutes. And in the future, if uh, you'd like me to do this, and if we uh, build sufficient interest, the nice thing about this system, although I haven't used it in years, is that it, if I can, <laughs> if I can figure out how to use it, we should be able to take uh, telephone calls, and you also have a uh, text box if you're on the website, that you can use to submit questions by text. So you have the choice of uh, being on the website or on the telephone. And if you're clever and use both, it'll be a little complicated, only in that uh, I understand the telephone was delayed somewhat, so you'll probably get a lag. But you have your choice of telephone or website. And those of you who are on the phone... Uh, star two will raise your hand and alert me that we have a question or a comment. And as we take questions or comments from various uh, listeners, then you can also direct your comment to them as well as to me, just like the old radio talk shows we used to do. Remember radio? Long, <laughs> long, long time ago. Well, I don't have anything special prepared, I've been, like so many of us, I think, really scattered in the last three weeks, emotionally, all over the map. I've been angry, and I've been heart sick. I've been um, sad and depressed. I felt alienated. I felt an incredible dissociation at times as if I'm dreaming, and this could not possibly be real. And uh, I'm sure that you've gone through that same set of feelings and then some. What I'd like this Fearless Intelligence Teleseminar to be, besides, as the title indicates, a program, a call-in show, teleseminar, about self-awareness and leadership is a program about a non-political, emotionally intelligent response to our feelings in the last few uh, weeks, especially as uh, we encounter people that we love, people in our families, friends, co-workers, who not only voted for Trump out of anger and fear, but who are now even more angry that they find themselves being accused of racism and bigotry. And in a way, they painted themselves into uh, a corner by voting against machine politics, voting against Clinton, Bush, business as usual, uh, Citizens United, big money running government, and Donald Trump is a Molotov cocktail, a roadside explosive device to just shatter everything. And that's what most Trump supporters and voters were voting for. Are many of them racists and xenophobes? Sexist? Yes, of course. If you're one of those, if you're a Nazi, if you're a white nationalist, it's likely you voted for Trump. But by all accounts, the vast majority of people who voted for Donald Trump and who've generated this emotional shock and psychic numbing that we're feeling did so by holding their nose and just saying, what I care mostly about is just blowing up business as usual. 
well, as they say, they're voting from fear. They're voting from confusion. And now many of them are even more angry. I got a couple of emails in response to my promotion of this event tonight that indicates that. I don't really have very many friends or family members who were voting for Trump. My sister is a uh, grade school principal in Missouri and has had to deal with the increase in bullying and race hate in her grade school. And I know many other teachers have been particularly stressed by the license that many children have to echo their parents' bigotry. And race hate and bigotry, anti-immigrant xenophobia, anti-Muslim sentiment, this has always existed. In the country that voted for Barack Obama on two different occasions, we're the same country that put Barack Obama in office. But white superiority is a very strong sentiment in this country. If you're poor and white and unskilled and poorly educated, White superiority is about the only thing you've got. And so while most of us embrace diversity and feel richer for diversity, not threatened, but actually love the fact that women are uh, breaking the glass ceiling and finding their power, that gay people are able to come out of the closet and and express their love in healthful ways, healthy ways, and that uh, Muslims enrich us, whether we're Christian or Jewish or, or Buddhist or atheist, that we're enriched by Islam. So I'd like to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence and then go to the telephones. And again, start two. I don't see anybody so far that's raised their hand or indicated they want to participate, but I'll keep an eye on the board and start two on your telephone touchpad should uh, alert me. So what a lot of people want, I believe, from a program like this is coping skills, emotional intelligence, management skills. That's where the self-awareness comes from. And there's two parts to emotional intelligence, the intrapersonal and interpersonal. So self-awareness and self-management is the intrapersonal. We need to develop, and we'll talk about how to do it tonight and in future weeks, to develop our recognition an understanding of our emotions, to learn to give them names. And when the emotions are blended and mixed and confusing and paradoxical, to even be able to say to yourself, I feel confused, I feel ambivalent, I, I feel contradictory feelings. And learn to move your awareness. Listen to me. Listen to this carefully to move your awareness from your head into your body because emotions are called feelings because they're experienced as sensations in the body. The worst thing that we can do, well, I, don't, I don't want to overstate this, but a largely ineffective thing that we tend to do is think about our emotions as if emotions are reasonable they arrive for reasons, and we ought to be able to figure them out. And that's what smart people do. <laughs> they try to figure things out and be reasonable. And whether you're talking about the emotions that we hear expressed by other people or the emotions that are generated within us as part of that exchange, or even in our heart of hearts when we're sitting alone and reflecting. Thinking about an emotion makes it even more difficult to comprehend, to embrace and understand. The more we think about an emotion, the more numb we become 
to feeling that emotion fully. Now, that's somewhat rewarding because these emotions we're talking about are hurtful. They're heartbreaking. They're frightening. And so if by thinking about them and figuring them out, we get a little numb to them, we can put a little distance between us and the feelings, we get a little benefit, except that, again, you're even less likely to understand it. So the alternative to thinking about a feeling is to move your awareness from your head down into your body. Women are naturally better at this than men. Men tend to be armored in this way. But if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you don't have to tell anybody. (laughs) Just move your awareness. Take three minutes. Take five minutes. Or when you find yourself feeling particularly grief-stricken, angry, hurt, you know, upset, frustrated, take a breath, relax. Letting go of muscular tension allows you to feel in your body the sensations generated by emotions. The language of emotions is not logic, but intuition. And insight and understanding arrives in the aha, eureka illumination, ideas that arrive full-blown. And it has to begin with you using your emotions to understand yourself. The second part of emotional intelligence is the interpersonal. And hopefully we can touch on that tonight and talk about it in future weeks because we want to be able to express our feelings and learn to help people that we're dealing with who may feel differently to know that we're listening and that we understand, even though we may not agree. In fact, that's the whole point. So the empathy and the understanding of others has to come second. You have to do the intrapersonal before you can do the interpersonal. You must know yourself and understand your own feelings much more completely than we could with our thoughts. Before we can reach out to other people with empathy and compassion and say, I understand how you feel. And be aware that when you say that to somebody, you're not saying, I agree. You're not saying, I will comply. You're not saying, I'm going to tolerate your blatant hatred, anger, and racism. But to build a bridge, just like. Kulu Shaker said in that song, ultimately we're all one. This is where philosophy, mysticism, and I'll say religion, if it's not too dogmatic, there is a lot of exclusivity in some religion, but the idea is that we're all one. There is a spiritual ecology movement that is emerging that I find particularly interesting because as we understand that animals are part of a food chain, for example, and there's an inner reliance, soon we begin to see that includes the, the, the plant kingdom. And there's an inner reliance then that expands to the mineral kingdom. And at some point in your life, you go, oh my God, all of these animals and these plants And the water, the rain, the ocean, the sky, the oxygen, the nitrogen, the carbon dioxide, this is all part of one thing, one life support system. And that can lead to a breakthrough in understanding theology, theosophy, philosophy, anthroposophy, (laughs) whatever term you want to hang on it, the search for truth. Okay, there's just one of us here. So it's our job to build bridges, to reach out. I mean, Hillary even used that line. Uh, We want to build bridges, not walls. That's an old allegory. 
that's an old uh, bit of uh, uh, poetry that has been used countless times over the millennia. Uh, bridges did, in fact, didn't John Lennon do a song? I think Walls and, and Bridges are, a, are an album by that name. So we no walls, bridges we want to build to each other, but we have to do that by, first of all, working on ourselves. Okay. Now, I want to play a uh, audio. Again, I only plan to do 60 minutes and to meet here regularly on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock Eastern. We will replay this event and um, it'll be podcast on uh, the iTunes store in place of what we've traditionally called the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We've just been playing 20 minutes of of a 90-minute premium audio program. We're going to replace that now with the this particular series, the Fearless Intelligence Self-Awareness and Leadership class. It'll be 60 minutes a week. And uh, most every Sunday, I'd, I'd really like to do this unless interest begins to wane. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm a pretty patient guy. But I want to go to um, an audio from Michael Moore. Some of you may have seen the film he did just weeks before the election entitled Michael Moore and Trump Land. And he shot it in uh, a county, I think it was DeWitt County, Ohio, where three-quarters of the voters are uh, Republican and, and Trump supporters. And there is a segment in that film where he empathizes with Trump voters and explains who they are. And then the audio soundbite I'm going to play for you here ends abruptly because what it starts with is a bit that Trump and Pence used, like a two-minute soundbite that they used in a commercial. But they truncated the sound bite. So you're going to hear in a, oh, I guess a total of maybe five minutes here, this initial sound bite from the film. And then Jake Tapper comes on, the CNN reporter, interviewing Michael Moore and referring to the fact that it was truncated. And then Moore uh, explains comments on the part that they left out. And I've added that in there, too. This is pretty much self-explanatory, but I want you to think of the Trump people that you know who confuse you most. Because it's absurd to hate hatred. I don't know if you've ever mulled that over in your head. I hate hatred, right? Well, I mean... It's paradoxically impossible to hate something you hate. <laughs> I didn't say that right. To hate someone who's hating and say, I hate them because of their hate. I mean, you become, it's like Pogo. I've seen the enemy. It's us. You become the enemy. You get pulled down into the mud with a hater as soon as you hate hate. And it's impossible to assume some kind of moral high ground and say, well, yeah, but my hate is righteous hate, and their hate is born of racism and bigotry, so my hate is redemptive hate. Or anger, the same thing. You know, emotions are contagious, let's be clear. And when somebody hates you, it immediately generates hate in you. If somebody's angry at you, your defense is to get angry. That's automatic, autonomic. It's the contagious nature of emotions. But what it means to be emotionally intelligent and self-aware includes the responsibility, the opportunity to redeem those feelings, to lift them to a higher plane, and return the negative with a positive. Now you're an agent for change, you see. 
and you're still in your integrity and you don't have to abandon your position. You let people understand how you feel. But more importantly, and this is the second part, the interpersonal, you'll let them know that you understand how they feel. So I think this is really the heart and soul of what I wanted to address in this very first meeting is how do we deal with hate without becoming a hater? How do we respond appropriately to anger without being angry people? Even if we start with our own share of hate and anger in response to the hate and anger all around us, you may need to begin with that, but then you can step it up. You can refine it. This is turning water into wine. Okay, This is turning lead into gold. This is that ancient allegory of what love as understanding does. And when I talk about love, I'm not talking about an emotional affinity. I'm talking about love as awareness, love as understanding. That redeems, that changes things, that allows you to gain an elevated perspective where you can see the bigger picture. You see? So let's listen to this Michael Moore soundbite. Again, the first bit is the part that Trump and Pence used in their spot. Then you'll hear Jake Tapper come in with uh, the rest of the story, so to speak. Here we go. Because I know a lot of people in Michigan that are planning to vote for Trump. And um, they're not, they don't necessarily like him that much. And they don't necessarily agree with him. They're not racist and rednecks or, they're, they're actually pretty decent people. And so I wanted to sort of, after talking to a number of them, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to write this and Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor Executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm gonna put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back and nobody's gonna buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the Brexit states. You live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. And on November 8th, election day, although they've lost their jobs, although they've been foreclosed on by the bank, next came the divorce and now the wife and kids are gone, the car's been repoed, they haven't had a real vacation in years. They're stuck with the shitty Obamacare bronze plan where you can't even get a fucking Percocet. They've essentially lost everything they had except one thing. The one thing that doesn't cost them a cent and is guaranteed to them by the American Constitution, the right to vote. They might be penniless, they might be homeless, they might be fucked over and fucked up, it doesn't matter because it's equalized on that day. A millionaire has the same number of votes as the person without a job, one. And there's more of the former middle class than there are in the millionaire class. So on November 8th, the dispossessed will walk into the voting booth, be handed a ballot, close the curtain, and take that lever, or felt pen, or touchscreen, and put a big fucking X in the box by the name of the man who has threatened to upend and overturn the very system that has ruined their lives. 
Donald J. Trump. They see that the elite who ruined their lives hate Trump. Corporate America hates Trump. Wall Street hates Trump. The career politicians hate Trump. The media hates Trump. After they loved him and created him and now hate him. Thank you, media. The enemy of my enemy is who I'm voting for on November 8th. Yes, on November 8th, you, Joe Blow, Steve Blow, Bob Blow, Billy Blow, Billy Bob Blow, all the blows get to go and blow up the whole goddamn system because it's your right. Trump's election is going to be the biggest fuck you ever recorded in human history. And it will feel good. Welcome back to the lead. Let's stay with politics. Filmmaker Michael Moore has been warning his fans for months that he feels there's a good chance Donald Trump could win the White House. And Moore has even laid out five reasons as to why. The Trump campaign even seized on something the progressive filmmaker said in his new HBO special, Michael Moore in Trumpland, when Michael Moore said that Trump voters are not racists and rednecks, but decent people. The Trump campaign, however, left out what Michael Moore said immediately afterwards. Trump's election is going to be the biggest you ever recorded in human history and it will feel good for a day yeah maybe a week possibly a month but when the rightfully angry people of ohio and michigan and pennsylvania and wisconsin find out after a few months in office that President Trump wasn't going to do a damn thing for them, it'll be too late to do anything about it. Wow. I just I just thought that was a powerful piece of audio I wanted to share with you guys. I think most of you remember that when I was doing radio talk shows, few things were as frustrating to me as all-or-nothing binary thinking, false dichotomies, uh, inappropriate bifurcation. And what I came to realize, because it really was like a pet peeve, it started with love it or leave it, and it was so popular and so common, and I would say, I mean, this is when I was in my late 20s and early 30s. And I would, I would say to these people that would call me on the radio with this either-or nonsense, hey, a list of two is not a very long list. Aren't there variations and combinations and permutations uh, isn't there a nuance, a middle road, uh, shades of gray or, or, or rainbows between your black and white thinking? And most of them just got more angry and, and more frightened. And I came to realize this is survival. This is fight or flight. That the brain, this is a very important point, the brain cannot distinguish between real danger and confusion without significant training. And most of our friends and neighbors have not had that training. You'll have to speak for yourself and decide for yourself to what extent you're aware of that. How quickly do you catch yourself when you get into one of those binary uh, discussions? Mostly it manifests with the partner or spouse where we're so interested in advancing our position that it doesn't even occur to us to acknowledge the other person's position as if arguments are to be won rather than differences acknowledged. 
Wow, that's important. In most cases, if you simply acknowledge that you understand what someone is saying, someone who disagrees with you, and then play it back, say, hey, wait a minute, do I get this right? Are you saying that you feel da-da-da-da-da-da? That means you're going to have to listen patiently. It means if you're going to be a leader, you have to put down your agenda long enough to listen to the other person and tell them, I understand how you feel. Five magic words, I understand how you feel. Doesn't mean you agree with them. It certainly does not mean you're going to comply. It means I understand. Right? And if you have a healthy relationship, a loving relationship, they should, in most cases, well, that's all I wanted. You see, they just wanted, they didn't want to win anything. They didn't want you to admit you were a loser or had lost because you disagreed. They just wanted some acknowledgement. When you acknowledge your friends who are Trump voters and say, I understand how you feel. I don't think you're a bigot. I don't think you're a racist. And maybe some other time we'll talk about why Donald Trump is and Bannon and some of the other people he's putting in key positions. I mean, my father fought in World War II to defeat the Nazis. And many of you have parents and grandparents that also fought, and many of whom died in World War II, to fight fascism and white supremacy. And now it's in the Oval Office. And yet the first issue that we have to address if we're going to build bridges is, I know you're not one of them. Now, if you have friends who are, well, they may be a lost cause. That's going to be a bit more of a challenge. But I'm talking about the majority of us, the Trump voters in our lives, are people that just don't know what they've done. As Michael Moore said, they're feeling great right now. Or they were for the first week, and they're starting to get a little freaked out now, three weeks in. But at the same time, the media is normalizing Donald Trump. We're starting to get used to it, aren't we? Boy, that ought to scare you in a healthy way. The idea that suddenly it's starting to feel sort of normal that our president is Donald Trump. And that his biggest problem so far is he can't find any bands to play as his inauguration, except maybe Ted Nugent, right? He won't even take the intelligence briefings. Because he has a five-minute attention span and a 200-word vocabulary. We're in deep trouble. And there's no sense denying it. And we're not going to tolerate it. But let's not get ahead of the game. First, we need to connect with the grief and the loss, with the people that we love and our families and our friends who are just out of their minds and off the deep end and coming out of such anger and confusion, such hatred and ignorance, such fear. I mean... Ignorance is an insulting word, and fear is a frightening word, so call it anxiety and confusion if you want to soften it, but it's fear and ignorance. That's the enemy. Make no mistake about it. Fear and its first cousin ignorance, that's the only enemy we have, because fear and confusion makes people dull. Unaware, the word that's often used is stupid, but it's not that they lack an intellectual capacity. It's that they're a deer in the headlights. They're stupefied. They're, they're in a trance, trapped between either or. And the more frightened and the more confused they are, 
the more likely they are to be stuck in an either-or, and they know that the either that they oppose is Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, the Clinton-Bush machine, Citizens United, Koch brothers, billionaires, Wall Street, business as usual. And it's just all one thing. And Trump is the other. And they went for Trump. And yes, the racists, the people that are afraid of anybody who is other than, the sexists, the homophobes, sure, they're in that mix. They voted for Trump. But I bet you that's not who's frightening us in our lives. The people that we know, that we thought were, as Michael Moore was saying, you know, pretty decent people. And now they're even more angry. And they blame us. And they will continue to frame this as, you're just a disappointed Democrat. You're a sore loser. This is just sour grapes because Hillary didn't win. No, we're not concerned that Hillary Clinton lost. We're concerned that we're losing democracy, the Bill of Rights, and an appreciation of the strength and the power of diversity as we come together as one humanity and can see the end of race hate and even war and destruction of the planet's ecosystem at hand. We're so close. We are so close. You can see numerous victories. The, the culture war was won by the liberals. There's free pot. Knock yourself out. Gay people can get married and walk down the street without having to hide. The worst thing you can call a racist is a racist. How many racists do you know? <laughs> Everything about their behavior and their speech is racist, but if you call them a racist, they get offended. That could change in the next couple of years if we don't resist we have to resist. We have to do it nonviolently and I think intelligently, emotional intelligence is what we need. Now, I'd love to go to the phones, but uh, one of the things I learned about radio talk shows is you have to have basically a thousand listeners for every caller, or maybe 500 thousand listeners to get you a, a a participant or two. I didn't say that right. A thousand listeners generating two callers. A thousand listeners to generate one or two people willing to speak up and ask a question or make a comment. And we don't have anything like that on this call. We have a nice turnout. We have a lot of people. But... Um, I don't see anybody who has raised their hand. Maybe I'm not running the system right. But if you'll press star 2, those of you on the phone, that should alert me. And I'm going to go to the text Q&A and see what we have. I have a comment from Wiltshire, England to begin. And she's apologizing for not being able to stay up late enough to listen. But uh, imagine the first comment I have here is from England. She says, uh, she says Bernadette, she says, uh, I would love to have connected, but it's a little too early in the day in the UK. I think it's 3 a.m. at uh, 7 p.m. here in the West. Uh, watching impact carefully as much unrest across the globe, interesting perspective, and she recommends someone named Roger Scruton in a program in England called Point of View. See, people all around the world are concerned. Monica in Lakeside says, thank you for the teleseminar. 
throughout the election, I've had such difficulty knowing that part of my family have been in full support of Trump, unapologetically turning away from the unprecedented lack of regard that Trump has brought up. I feel I can never forget, and I don't feel I can be authentic with them. And that may be forever going by knowing my family. Not sure what you meant by that. I get a feeling for it. I feel that in order to continue a relationship, it would be much like growing up gay, never being authentic, because I feel if I were at this point, I would never have anything to do with these family members again. I don't think I can look past this. I have to be fake to keep my relationship because I am so sickened by their complete lack of regard for others unless they are like them, white and in a box. Monica. Well, there you go. This is why I'm calling this self-awareness and leadership. Because without being preachers, we can be teachers. Because we can learn to use, even if just from a weekly webinar like this or teleseminar like this, we can learn to better understand our feelings, moving our awareness into our bodies, using intuition to open ourselves to the insight that's necessary to get that aha to understand what every emotion you feel says about you. I don't care who caused it, whether it's Donald Trump caused it or um, Rudy Giuliani caused it or some media news person caused it or somebody in your family caused it or somebody you share a bed with caused it. If it's your feeling, it's a response. And the feeling tells you about you, not the stimulus. Emotions are responses. And as you come to understand yourself better, the intrapersonal side of emotional intelligence, then we can, with empathy and compassion, listen to the foolishness and the confusion of our friends with the prime intent of saying, I understand how you can feel that way. No, those are not my feelings. I feel differently. I think differently. But I can understand how you feel that way. And from there, begin to educate. Maybe just plant some seeds, just a little bit at a time. But your first job is to express that understanding, to acknowledge the understanding. Two concepts that I wanted to touch on tonight are equanimity, actually three, equanimity, mindfulness, and acceptance. Equanimity is level-headed, even-tempered, balanced, centered, Again, level-headed, even-tempered. Isn't that nice? That's equanimity. Mindfulness, I think you probably know, is just to pay attention. And that's a relaxation skill. You don't make an attempt or effort or try to pay attention. Being mindful is watching, without judgment, what's happening in the present moment. And when you find your brain, your mind, your monkey mind, dragging you into past regrets and future fears and anxieties, you note it. You don't criticize yourself for the breaking concentration. No admonishment of self for not being a better concentrator. Just simply be aware that, oops, here I go. I'm off on a train here, I'm tripping, I'm tripping. And as soon as you realize you've done that, let it go. No resistance, no struggle, 
no admonishment of self, let it go, and gently and elegantly bring your attention back to the present moment, to the feelings, the emotional feelings in your body. One of the things I wanted to ask people who called is how you're feeling, and I wanted to guide some of you into your body to learn to describe the feelings. If your emotions had a color, do this now for me. Take take a feeling that you've had during the last 45 minutes of listening to this or a strong, powerful emotion from the last three weeks. <sighs> take a breath and relax. Move your awareness into your body and ask yourself, if this emotional feeling or set of feelings had a color, what's the first thing that pops into my head? Don't figure it out. Don't think it through. Just relax passively and wait for a color to pop up. And whatever the color is, don't judge it. It's just a color. It might be a blend of colors. It might be a swirling color, a spiral, a pattern, checkerboard, I don't know, tweed. <laughs> herringbone if it had texture or temperature without moving at all just imagine reaching out in your mind to touch this emotion for texture and temperature and you cross wire your brain so that the emotional feeling has a tactile feeling and then you give it voice and say What's my personal growth lesson? What can I learn about myself from this feeling? Not from the people that made me feel this way or the person or the event. Not the stimulus, but this feeling is my response. What can I learn about myself? And the light bulb comes on. Maybe slowly, like the dawning of an insight or a new idea. Maybe it pops on like that archetype of the light bulb. Maybe you're thunderstruck that by an epiphany in the top of your head explodes or some relative degree in between those. And aha, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand myself. That is leadership. Now you can take that to impulse control. Hold your tongue. You can think it. You don't have to say it, right, in relationships with people that upset you. Hold your tongue. Impulse control. Appropriate assertiveness. When it's time to step forward and say, wait a minute, hold on here, because I was just feeling, and then listening so that you can, without objection, without judgment still, without judgment still, listening, and playing it back. I understand that you feel this way and this way. It's not going to kill you to tell somebody that you are upset with or who's breaking your heart that you understand how they feel. That if I was in your situation, I might feel the same way. Interested in why I don't, in how I feel, they may not be. They may not be as likely they won't be. But the five magic words, I can understand how you feel, will go a long way. Tim in, uh, I guess that's Campbell, California, says, can you address the challenges of remaining engaged with the reality and ongoing consequences of the election, but at the same time remaining protected from becoming negatively overwhelmed? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, watch less news. It's a career journalist telling you to watch less news. Uh, there is very little news on TV. I would say buy a local newspaper. Get into the habit of reading printed newspapers. Get some of that ink on your hands uh, wherever possible or read online but acknowledge that you're not getting anything except punditry on MSNBC, Fox News, CBS, NBC, ABC. It's all a ratings charade. The head of CNN, 
is a reality show producer. These guys would ignore Bernie and even ignore Hillary and put the camera on Trump's empty podium for an hour because they knew they'd get better ratings showing an empty podium that Trump was headed to than they would some boring speech from Hillary Clinton. And that's what they care about is ratings. Commercial media is about the commercials, not the programming in between. And it's gotten more blatant, and they're all brought to you by drugs for diseases your brain's going to learn to develop if you keep watching that crap. So be informed, be well-informed, but minimize the amount of that stuff that you expose yourself to. And seek diverse and antagonistic sources of news. If you're going to watch MSNBC, you should watch some Fox News. Look for attribution. Be aware of if, if somebody on Fox or any other TV channel says, and Trump was using this device, I'm hearing, or some people say, that's gossip, that's not news. News media is plural for medium. It's supposed to be attributed, it's supposed to be attributable <laughs> to a source. The one thing I learned in journalism school, I'm not the source of the news, I'm the medium. Or an extra large, as the joke goes. But if they're not giving you attribution, if they're not reporting who says so, it's not real news, it's gossip. But there are newspapers out there. You can read the New York Times, the Washington Post, your local hometown newspaper, you just have to account for the biases, allow for it. And great newspapers from around the world, magazines, you got the internet, use it. But you can't find the one right objective source. You have to find diverse and antagonistic sources and read between the lines. Think for yourself. That'll help you feel a lot better. I have a number of people that are just uh, using the comment box to say hello, and I appreciate that. Michael Grundegger and Kasha, and um, this is uh, Mark in Hollywood. Will there be a sustained website in which we can share links and resources to help one another? Things from immigrants and deportation rights to help grow the community. He says the community garden to low-cost counseling listings. I'm sure people have many more ideas, and I'd love to be able to see them all. I'm not looking forward to four years of tearing my hair out and feeling like a victim. As a great L.A. poet, Charles Bukowski once said, there may not be a lot of light, but there's enough. Well, I'm sure there are. I'm not going to replicate the wheel. I don't have an intention myself to do that. But as I said uh, early in the program, the class here tonight, Mark, this will be available for replay with the same link, the same web link that you use to get here. There's a uh, the web link that you get will take you to a pre-event page, a during event page, and a replay after the event. The one same link. Plus, I plan the podcast. That'll take a couple of days. Each of these, and so if you just go to the iTunes Store or Stitcher or Player FM or any of the major podcast directories, and do a search for Michael Benner or the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, that you'll find the links for that. iTunes is a great place to start. And uh, we're running out of time here. It's uh, almost 8 o'clock, but let me take one more. Zeke and Van Eyes, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. He says, this mechanism is true when applied to politics. We elected an African-American for two terms, the equal and opposite reaction, therefore, is Donald Trump, a racist, as president. The pendulum has to go right. 
after having been left for two terms. This is the way it's always been. Yeah, a bit binary, but I get what you're saying. And I think there is uh, a large degree of merit to that. I don't think that's the full story, of course. You probably don't either. But um, there's so much more to it. And this is a good place for me to begin to wrap this up because it's adversity that promotes growth. Darkest before the dawn, always darkest before the dawn. I am not dissuaded to continue my protest for what's right, my intolerance of what's wrong, and my belief in the inherent goodness of humanity. People are good until they get frightened, and then they do horrible, unspeakable things. Fear is the enemy. Fear has many causes, but at the root of all fear is a failure to understand and that the center of not understanding is the self. We don't know ourselves. It's the greatest fear of all. It's one reason uh, an effort like this will never have the kind of response that, you know, if I did a Joe Rogan show, a comedy show, if I used a lot of obscenities and made fun of people, we'd get ten times, a hundred times the audience. Because doing what we're doing tonight is terrifying for most people. Even coming on the line here, you can see it's frightening. Though some of you are willing to do the text message. We're afraid that our parents were right. And that we are bad, wrong, stupid, ugly, inadequate, never going to amount to anything. We've forgotten the false assumptions from childhood, but they're buried deep in the unconscious, whispering constantly. You can't do it. You're going to screw it up. You don't deserve it anyway. Sooner or later, we appeal to other people for approval and acceptance when we don't really need it. We like it, but you don't need it. You'd like to be loved by others, but you are love. You have the love you're looking for. Indeed, you are the love you're looking for. Give it away. Don't worry about getting it back. Self-love is loving that you are part of the one life. That you're not alone. You're never alone. That's part of the illusion, part of the lie that fear and ignorance nourishes. So with that, we're going to wrap up this first event. I'm going to continue to send you notices, not as many as we did this week because it was the first one, but you get one or two notices. If you are not yet on the email list, go to michaelbenner.com and click on Teleseminar Sign-Up. Give me your primary email address, your first name, and your zip code. That's all I need. Okay? If you're outside the U.S., just put a period in the zip code or a dash in the zip code place and click on Submit. Again, michaelbenner.com. You know the W's and all that stuff up front. Then michaelbenner.com. And you'll see the button at the bottom of the page. Big giant button, tele-seminar, sign up. And you'll get uh, the newsletter and uh, the unique link for each Sunday night's event. There will be some Sundays I'm not going to do this, holidays, whatever. But I plan to be here, and I plan to encourage you. I'm going to insist (laughs) that we begin to talk to each other. I want you to... It's not the radio. There's not thousands and thousands of people. There's just a few of us on the phone. But I'm not going to unmute you if you don't ask me to. You can alert me with star two in the touchpad. I'd love to see your email. You can also write to me at MB, my initials, Michael Benner, MB at theagelesswisdom.com, MB at theagelesswisdom.com. And I also want to remind you that uh, with my business partner of uh, three and a half decades, Steve Snyder, we've posted 
absolutely free on a website called Pen Tools, over 250 personal empowerment programs that we recorded in Maui between 2007 and 2012 during the Obama administration. We were doing that hope and change thing. But they have very little to do with politics. It's personal empowerment. PEN stands for Personal Empowerment Network. The domain is tools instead of com or .org. So P-E-N dot tools. And you can listen to streaming or download any one of those 250 programs. They're about 45 minutes each in eight different categories. And uh, I think the largest and finest archive of personal empowerment, personal development, and spiritual development programs you can find on the Internet, all absolutely free. There's an opportunity. There's a donate button there that uh, helps send kids to accelerated learning camp in the summer. You'd like to donate, but first just check it out. Stream or download to your computer smartphone or tablet, whatever, uh, those programs too. And uh, I've got a book coming out in a few months called Fearless Intelligence. More on that later. And I'll look for your emails and I'll look for you next week. I want to thank you all for listening. I see a list of your phone numbers in your cities. So I know you're there. Thank you very much. And have a wonderful week. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner. Good night.